Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Networks podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We represent various groups working on literacy in the state. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for the citizens of Alabama. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Bell Smith. This podcast is brought to you by Brightspot Ed LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama, providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. If you have a struggling reader or know someone who struggles with reading, you may know that dyslexia can be a cause of that reading difficulty. We have spoken in the last few weeks to Dr. Denise Gibbs of the Alabama Scottish Rite Foundation Learning Centers, the organization responsible for screening children in Alabama for the last 20 years. Then we spoke to two certified academic language therapists, Ms. Julia Wall of Limestone County Schools and Ms. Vicki Wolf of Blunt County Schools. Cults are individuals certified to provide dyslexia therapy and although both Ms. Wall and Ms. Wolf both work in Alabama schools, we learn that there is a continued need for people like them to serve the students in our schools. In 2015, the Alabama State Board of Education adopted amendments to state administrative code, which recognized the need for dyslexia screening and intervention for all students in Alabama public schools as part of the response to instruction model. The Alabama Dyslexia Advisory Council was appointed by the State Board of Education to advise them on matters relating to dyslexia. We are fortunate to have Ms. Sonia Yates, president of the Alabama Dyslexia Advisory Council here with us today to talk to us about how Alabama schools are serving students with dyslexia and what parents can do to ensure that their students are receiving the services they need. Welcome, Sonia Yates. Thank you for being here with us today. Well, thank you, Dr. Shelley Vell smith I'm happy to be here with you, my friend. So first of all, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in working with dyslexic students and their families? Yes, I actually, my background is in uh, special ed. It's interesting because my whole family, both of my sisters are educators also, um, but we were raised in a reading family, an illiterate family, you know, have authors in our family. So reading has always been a passion. And um, so it's, it's always been very important to us. I'm also an advocate for the underdog for those who usually don't have a voice to speak for themselves and um, making sure, you know, that uh, their needs are met. And so that um, passion in both areas led me to special education. And what I found when I got into the classroom was I, I really, you know, with my college degree, I really didn't know how to help my kids. They would sit and, you know, they looked at me expecting me to know what to do. And I I had no clue. And uh, it really set me on a path of finding what would work, which led me to um, dyslexia therapy training. And what I found in dyslexia therapy training is I really knew nothing about teaching kids to read. It was a very humbling, you know, to face that because I'd paid a lot of money for, you know, my master, my you know bachelor's and master's degrees. And so when I started that dyslexia therapy, it opened up a whole new world for me. 
and um, is life-changing. And I say that all the time. It's life-changing not only for the person going through the training, but for those kids sitting in front of you who you're working with every day. And um, through all of that, I found that um, reading and that advocating for the underdog, you know, that's it fit perfectly into um, fighting for those kids who struggle, for those dis- those kids who have the characteristics of dyslexia, dyslexic tendencies. And I just want to say that it's fabulous to be able to say the word dyslexia in the state of Alabama finally, you know, after so many years. But um, that's how I kind of got started in it, you know, my background, um, you know, it's, it's kind of evolved into more than I ever imagined, you know, when I just really started out as how do I teach my students sitting in front of me? Absolutely. So you are currently president of the Alabama Dyslexia Advisory Council. What can you tell us about this group and what the goals are? Well, yes, I am. Um, And that's one of those areas that I never would have expected or dreamed about. Um, But the Dyslexia Advisory Council was set up in 2015 by the State Board of Education. It's actually in the Alabama Administrative Code, which is um, policy for the state. And what we found is in our advocacy efforts was that we needed some type of either policy change or law change. So as our our group got together, you know, some people have been advocating for 30 years. And as our group got together, we found that, you know, there were strength in numbers. And um, so we worked with the State Department, made some, got some changes, the Dyslexia Amendments to Alabama Administrative Code, which set up the Dyslexia Advisory Council. One of our areas that we are responsible for is the Dyslexia Resource Guide. And now that has recently been revised and uh, been published. I know that it's on the State Department website, has the new screening procedures in there that uh, really it aligned it to the Alabama Literacy Act. And um, the thing is, is that, you know, the national experts have you know, looked at this with us and have said that um, it's what's best for kids. You know, we're, we're following what needs to be done. That group is made up of um, parents. It's made up, there's a medical doctor on there, pediatrician, private pe- practitioners, and 15 cults or dyslexia therapists. Um, some of our goals is um, we've just finished vetting the 4 through 12 intervention programs, so that should be published The goal is this week. And um, we also report to the State Board of Education members um, the implementation of the amendments to the Alabama Administrative Code and now the Alabama Literacy Act since dyslexia is in the law. Yes. So um, we're definitely wanting people to check out that uh, revision of the Dyslexia Resource Guide uh, for both the screening and those intervention programs. And so just kind of point out to people that the programs that are approved for the Literacy Act are different uh, in some cases than the ones for uh, 4 through 12 that are listed in the Dyslexia Resource Guide just because of the age differences uh, and the requirements of the Literacy Act. So that is good information for um, everyone to have. It is. And one thing on there is that um, what the Dyslexia Advisory Council did in vetting those programs is we took the ones who were in the previous Dyslexia Resource Guide and the ones who had been submitted 
to the uh, task force for the Literacy Act. And those are the ones that we vetted and put in there. We use the same requirements as the task force had used, trying to align things in our state. So hopefully we're going to see a better alignment between, you know, what the task force recommended and then what's being recommended by the uh, Dyslexia Advisory Council. Great. And uh, since I am also on the Dyslexia Advisory Council, uh, I will point out that uh, members across the state um, are committed to help people locally. And so uh, people can access the list of people uh, who are on the committee on that state website and call those people up and contact them for assistance. And so um, you want to mention that? Yes, that is. And that's that's a great point because we do serve as liaisons between the parents, sometimes teachers, and we're able to direct people to resources, you know, in, inside their, their districts. So um, that, that was a great point. Good. Every once in a while, I make one. So (laughs) the current hot topic in the state is the student reading intervention plan, the SRIP. Um, And to use a quote from Hamlet, uh, the big question is to SRIP or not to SRIP. And I hope my pronunciation on that is clear enough so people don't think we're talking about nightclubs and poles. So uh, what are your thoughts on the SRIP? Well, down here in South Alabama, it might be the to shrimp or not to shrimp because, (laughs) uh, but, you know, I've I've heard it um, quite affectionately called many different names. Uh, Some call it the SRIP, some call it the SRIP. And um, but the biggest thing is that um, it is right now the most frequently asked question. If there was a poll in the state of Alabama, I think that would be what K-3 educators and principals are asking the most is, does this child need a student rating improvement plan? So what is the answer to that question? Well, unfortunately, even though we as educators love to do things exactly right and to get a 100 on everything we do. The problem is, is there's not a one, two, three, four, five, because kids don't fit in those compliance checklist boxes. The answer is always, it, it depends. You know, RTI, response to instruction, did not go away with the implementation of the Alabama Literacy Act. It's still there. That process is still there. It is still sitting down as a team and problem solving. And one of the things that we're doing, I think we're asking the wrong question. You know, in our effort to meet the compliance guidelines that be on that, I call it compliance checklist street, we forget about that problem solving avenue. And so our question should be, does this child need intervention? I mean, that that's just, that's it. That's what it really comes down to. Does this child need intervention? If the answer is yes, then that's what we problem solve. We problem solve ways to provide appropriate intervention to meet their needs. That checklist doesn't work with kids because you have to look at their age. You have to look at the severity of it. You have to look at other challenges. And right now, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. You also have to look at, are they logging on when they're at home? You know, are they logging on and just not participating? There's so many different um aspects, you know, that you have to look at when you're looking at that child. But instead of focusing on that to shrip or not to shrip, I really like that saying, by the way, then you have to think about what does this child need intervention? 
do they need intervention? If the answer is yes, use what a friend of mine calls common RTI sense and do something about it. Absolutely. Um, I do think that your guidance on starting with whether the child needs intervention and focusing on that part uh, is a good place for people to start. And, you know, if you are asking that question and you're doing what's best for that child, you're meeting the requirements of the Literacy Act. You know, it's, it's very strong in intervention. And, you know, that's really what ultimately we're responsible for is doing what's best for those kids sitting in front of us. And I think it's easy to get on that compliance checklist street that you call it uh, and and be focused on uh, checking those boxes when instead the intent of the law really was to get help to students. Yes. And it's especially again right now because We're in survival mode, you know, just as a nation, really. And um, we want to do the easiest thing because it's almost like our brains can't handle anything else. But we have to use the law to leverage. We have to leverage that law to dig in right now and do what's best for kids. And um, teaching a child to read is life changing. You change the trajectory of, I can't say that word, say that word for me. Trajectory. Thank you, of that uh, child's life when you teach them to read, because literacy gives them power. It gives them power over their own life. And um, so, again, right now, we have to leverage it. We have to use what the law says to be able to to get to do what's best for kids instead of having to do something. I love that uh, shift in our thinking is where we get to do this. So. Obviously, we are living in unprecedented times um, with COVID, and I keep hoping that we can say post-COVID at some point, but I don't know when that will be. So what do you see as the current challenges for literacy in Alabama with COVID? With COVID right now, there's, there, there are just so many challenges that, you know, we've, you said it unprecedented. It's things we've never dealt with before. There's no such thing as best practiced in the be- in the midst of a global pandemic because we've never lived through it before. We don't know often what's going to work and what's not going to because it, a lot of it's trial and error, especially when we go to remote learning and virtual learning and, you know, we close schools down in three days and just so many things that we, we've had to think so far outside of our comfort zones and our boxes that, um, you know, it's it's put us in a constant state of stress, I feel like. But um, some of the most prominent things to me right now is that it's difficult for teachers to get the training that they need. You know, schools are having problems staffing. You know, they don't have teachers. And then they don't have subs if those teachers do get sick. So focusing on professional development right now, which is we know is needed, and teachers want, but focusing on that makes it very difficult, you know, with what we're going through right now. Um, having, not having access to that high quality core curriculum, you know, is, um, I think we're going to see some, the effects of that. It's going to take a couple of years before we really see the effects of what's going on during this time. But, um, 
that high quality core curriculum is so important. And, you know, we have processes in the state of Alabama that we're following. However, I always go back to it's better to be preventative. You vaccinate to keep a child from, you know, getting the measles. Well, then let's vaccinate the kids and let's give them those preventative measures with that high quality core curriculum and making sure that our teachers have that training to prevent them from struggling later. Another thing I think is that we're all facing is that um, equity across the state. It's really brought out the um, the lack of equity with um I mean, access to broadband, something that we take for granted every single day because that's what we're using for this. Yes. It's just an everyday life for us. And that there's areas of our state that don't have access to that. And so I, I think we're going to see that Matthew effect, those who have had it and those it's the rich get richer and the poor get poor. And I'm, I'm afraid that gap's just going to become wider and wider through this. Um, and that's why I say that we have to dig in and we have to make sure that our instruction is strong enough to reach those lowest kids. And those kids who are not showing up, we have to find them because, I mean, they can't just disappear, right? So we've got to find them. And, you know, that it's, that it's just hard. Um, and I guess the other thing is that, and this was probably before COVID, too, is that I don't, I'm not sure we had such a sense of shock that 28% of our fourth graders, only 28% scored above proficient on the NAEP in 2019. Only 28% scored above proficient in 2019. And, you know, again, it goes back to that social justice issue, that equity it's, it's not okay when third graders don't know the letters of the alphabet. I'm sorry, it's not. And it doesn't matter if they have um, a label. It doesn't matter if they have an IEP. It doesn't matter. It's not okay. And until I, I guess we get to that point that we realize it's not okay, then, um, you know, that, that I think that's a challenge that we see right now. And, you know, you overcome that again with a mindset change. What, how can we leverage what the law requires? to do what's best for our kids, whether it's COVID or not COVID. Post-COVID, we're hoping for one day, right? We are. <laughs> and, and so I, I was just thinking as you talked about, you know, social justice and, and we were already in not a great place as far as literacy in our state and, and really uh, the potential for a negative impact on those students who were struggling the most uh, because of the impact of COVID and remote instruction, perhaps a lack of access uh, to materials. And so that really begs the question, I feel like as a state, you know, how can we as a state uh, revamp and respond, um, you know, to pave the way for those students to catch up. And so, you know, that's obviously beyond uh, you or me um, <laughs> and smarter people and more important people um, are, are going to be struggling with that. 
Uh, but I do think that that is going to be kind of the next step in, you know, where we have to go uh, because um, I was listening to someone on the news talk about, you know, you never come out of a crisis the same. And so um, we were already not where we wanted to be. And so mm-hmm. if we accept less than what we already were, we're going to be in a big uh, mess. And so I do think we can use this crisis as a catalyst for demanding um, better results for our kids. And and that's not to, um, you know, put more stress on anyone because everyone's already stressed. But I feel like we have to work um, smarter, not harder. Uh, Mm -hmm. especially for our teachers. And so, and we know that our teachers are the people that are most dedicated to helping uh, our students. And so um, I think that that is a really tall order for anybody. Uh, And I love what you said about, you know, best practice. We don't know what best practice is right now because we're in unprecedented times. And we don't know what best practice is, but we do know what research tells us. And research tells us that letter naming and phonological awareness are the two best predictors of future reading success. Then if you don't do anything else this year, then our kindergartners and first graders should be proficient in that. And I know that we've got standards. We have to teach that. However, we've got to, as you said, work smarter, not harder. And we know with assessments that we've done in the state, we know where we are and we know where our kids are. And again, I go back to it's not okay for third graders not to know the letter names and letter sounds. It's not okay. And that phonological awareness, we know what an important part it plays in reading proficiency. And especially with students with um, characteristics of dyslexia who are at risk for dyslexia. And so to me, It should narrow our focus to what research tells us works with kids, and we focus on those. And sometimes I think when we do that, when we say, okay, let's focus on these areas, we're intentional about it, and it it just gets us started. You know what I mean? It's that first step of saying, look, this is where we are. We know we're not where we want to be. How are we going to get there? And defining that first step. Mm, I love that. I had a principal recently that uh, was was talking and, you know, we were talking about some some of their scores and things. And, you know, we had the third grade conversation, but I was so impressed because in the middle of the conversation, he got it. He's it was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, do you mean to tell me that if my students, if we make sure my students, because they're his babies, have letter naming and phonological awareness that they're going to have a better life. And I said, you know, yes, that's what research tells us. And and I watched, you know, his face and it was just, it was just, he got it all of a sudden. If this is what tells us is going to give kids a better life, then, you know, their goal is to focus on it in kindergarten because we're going to make sure from the beginning. Now, we know that's not all that they need. However, we know that when we teach those things, that's activating the specific parts of their brains, that's building those filing cabinets in there, that's, um, and we know the language comprehension is always there, a simple view of reading, which is, you know, the conceptual framework for the state written by the, in the action plan, 
and we know that that's there. However, it was just one of those moments. It's that mindset change where, you know, instead of being overwhelmed by what he saw, it was, oh my goodness, why has no one ever told me this before? You know, and it was a step. It was, this is, it's, there's a systematic way to help with some of this. So I just thought that that was a very um, good story about, you know, in the midst of everything that's going on around us, educators are still working. Our instructional leaders are still searching for answers and and they're they're finding them and they're making it work. Yes. And I love that um, focus on small steps that people can do. And so my next question really kind of uh, leads uh, right from that, which is, you know, what do you think people can do right now to help children in Alabama? And obviously the letter naming and the phonological awareness that you were talking about is uh, for those earliest um, grades uh, in our youngest students. Um, But what do you think people can do right now overall to help children with reading in Alabama? Well, I I think there's, there's three things, it's really four, but I put it into three that we have to look at and focus on. And first of all, what's best for kids? I mean, that's what we have to look at. It's what's best for kids. It's if this does this child need intervention. And it's not does does this child need tier three intervention in a separate pullout program. It is where's the weaknesses in this child? Where's the deficits? How are we going to close those gaps? How are we going to fill those? Focusing on what's best for kids then goes to number two, then you're meeting the requirements of the Literacy Act. If you're doing intervention, making sure that kids, those gaps are being filled, even in third grade, you're going in there, you're teaching them letter names and letter sounds, you're teaching them blending skills if they don't have them. That goes back to that question, does this child need intervention? Yes, they do. So we've find a way to provide it. And then, you know, I think it goes to then the third thing is that as educators, we always want to make a 100. I talked about that earlier. We always want to do what's right, but we have to sleep at night knowing that we've done the best that we could for those kids that parents send to us trusting us to teach their kids. And, you know, in 10 years from now, when somebody, you know, ask a question about a kid, you know, we need to be able to say, we don't have to be, we don't need to be scared of them filing a due process, you know, if they were a kid with an IEP or, or coming back and saying, well, you know, Ms. Yates didn't do what she needed to do in that grade. We need to make sure that we're focusing on that, um, looking at their needs and putting them first, because there is a law out there, but that law tells us to focus on the needs of kids and that intervention. And that's the, to me, I think that the legislative intent was to meet the needs of those kids who are struggling, those kids who that, as I said earlier, often overlooked, those kids who don't have parents that, you know, advocate for them, or those kids, you know, whose parents can't afford to go out and pay $75 an hour for tutoring two or three times a week. So that's, you know, right now, I think our focus, it just has to be, it has to narrow, it be narrowed and laser focus on what's best for kids. What do they need? How can we provide it to them? Great advice. 
So I want to thank you for not only what you've done for children and families uh, in Alabama, but for talking to us today. Um, you are uh, so knowledgeable and have so much to share. We will definitely want you to come back and update us on the progress of this work. Um, well, thank you. I enjoyed it, as always. Absolutely. Tune in for the next podcast episode, an interview with Alabama's Department of Early Childhood Secretary of Early Childhood Education, Dr. Barbara Cooper, and Mrs. Liletta Jenkins, State Manager of Alabama Children's Policy Councils. We will be discussing what the Department of Early Childhood is doing for literacy in Alabama and tell you how you can become involved in your county's Children's Policy Council.